0: Welcome to the Pierce Point Podcast. Today we are all about Luke chapter nine, and it's not much, but it is really a humbling observation. Bob Girding uh, posted on the Talk It Over section um, on day eleven uh, when he said, "God looks at our hearts," and I think uh, it doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter, uh, it doesn't matter your background. To think that the sovereign God, to know that the sovereign God, to know that the loving and merciful uh, yet uh, just God. Mm-hmm. Looks at our hearts. Absolutely, you you're not hiding from anybody. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, he. Um, I, I love the passage in scripture that says, "You know, man looks on the man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart." And the idea there is is a conviction in many ways that this heart has to be renewed. We read elsewhere in scripture that the the heart is desperately wicked, and and again we hear uh, David say that that out of the heart the uh the issues of life flow and then in the new testament we hear that uh out of the heart the mouth speaks mm-hmm. so so there's a reason why the heart matters mm-hmm. and um and yet every day just taking a second to pause and realize you know god god looks at our hearts we've got to mm-hmm. see that and that and that can go to the purity of our hearts in moments we've got Elizabeth and Zechariah and, and Anna and beautiful stories of those those sorts of people and I want to be those kind of people. I think of David, you know, David's a man after God's own heart, which means his heart must have been looking towards that. We see why that is. It's not cuz David was was uh, righteous in his own ways, but he was a highly repentant individual and humble. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, so there's a part of God looking at your heart that says I'm glad for that. There's also that part of your heart that says, you got to change me, Lord, because mm-hmm. I look in the mirror every day, and my heart seems to manifest through everything else to where I can yeah. see it, and
1: it's bad. You know? We we think about God uh, looking on our hearts, and, and really, as men, all we can see as far as to see what someone is really about is what they say and what they do, yeah. And but but God goes to the very... Uh, if you heart, if you will, of the matter by saying, I know what your motives are, I know what you're truly about. So it's a I'm, great comment. I,
0: I'm really glad that you said that that way because. Uh, I think what we see throughout the New Testament is we see uh, a group of people. God has given us this this mercy. He's given us this grace, and that is that we are able to judge people by their fruit. We are able. He gave fruit so that we could see it, that we could know who we're affiliated with. I I praise God for that. I want I want to be able to determine that. At the same time, uh, the Pharisees were people who were really good at displaying a Mm so-called fruit, but the problem is it didn't come from a pure heart. It came from an agenda. It came from a a side that said, you know, I've earned my place. God owes me or something like this. And so uh, this this is true even when we're producing fruit in keeping with repentance. Uh, One of those key elements is humility. Without that, the Pharisees didn't have it, but Mm -hmm. without that, without this constant... Uh, introspection that says god I'm without you I'm nothing mm-hmm. I cannot mm-hmm. do this it mm-hmm. doesn't matter if you've walked with Jesus 80 years of your life to really understand I'm nothing without him mm-hmm. he he's wanting that heart that's why the scripture says you know God rejects the proud but he gives grace Absolutely. to the humble that's powerful awesome. okay so we're rolling into chapter nine
1: what stands out mm-hmm. to you sir oh my we're in the uh, uh we're in the thrust of a of a some very heavy things that Jesus and the twelve are dealing with here but uh, the first few verses is Jesus and he, he he being Jesus called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all the demons and to heal diseases and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to perform healing it is uh, it's so it's so very uh, important that we see that that the First thing that is, they're getting into the very uh, 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 the 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 very reason that Christ came, and He being one hundred percent man but one hundred percent God knew that first of all He was going to have to have these twelve to help Him through this. There, He wasn't going to be in every place all the time, uh, and He couldn't be everywhere all the time in in the sense of preaching. So. And it, I also like that out of that first verse uh, uh, is that he he was concerned about their soul, proclaiming to them the kingdom of God, and to perform and 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 to perform healing. So God is is concerned about the whole of man, not just one piece of man, but the whole of man. Now we know that our body is uh, this this body is going to going to die, but while we're here on this earth, we can rest assured that. Jesus understands and knows, and made a made a way for this. He even says, "This is he he healed folks." Yes, absolutely.
0: I, I think as we begin this, we have to address that uh, question of hermeneutic of an interpretive method. Uh, there, there are two things that we talk a lot about. And that is uh, whether or not uh, a text of Scripture is prescriptive, that is, it's prescribing something that we are to act on and live out, or whether or not a text is descriptive, and that simply being describing something that took place in this time. Uh, I believe that there are times when we have both descriptive and prescriptive texts. For example, you have the Great Commission. It is a descriptive text. It says that Jesus told his disciples this. He commissioned them. And it is also prescriptive, and it's prescriptive more by way of of practice, by way of studying it throughout history. We would not be here today had it not been for the church believing deeply that that was prescriptive mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. they went and made disciples and we are the result of that disciple making so we have prescriptive and we have descriptive uh, but here uh, we have what is a descriptive text and to trans or er, and to interpret this through the hermeneutic of prescriptive, is simply untenable. It doesn't, it doesn't follow. Now, uh, we may find some principles in this, and I'd love to talk through that. Uh, but we may find some principles, but it's really important to note that what happens here, Luke records with his great detail, as we've all mm-hmm. talked about, uh, he says, Jesus called the twelve together. Yes. There there have been all kinds of distinctions and groups. There have been crowds that have followed Jesus. There have been Pharisees and 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 teachers of the law and all of these scribes. There have been the disciples. There have been the apostles. And in this he called the 12 who we we recently Uh, Read who those were Mm -hmm. or or understood who they were. Uh, He called the 12 and he gave them power and authority over all demons and to heal diseases. He sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to perform healing. Here's another hermeneutic question. Uh, It's simply a fancy word that talks about our interpretive method. Many times we read the Bible trying to interpret it with forcing ourselves into the story. Mm-hmm. Well, here's the beauty. You and I weren't here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and there's, there's times when that, that's kind of a letdown because we go, oh, that sounds exciting. But there's times when this is great joy because, boy, I, I'm not sure what I would have done yeah. in this setting. But so, so here is what we do. Here's what we do know. He, he called the 12. He sent them out to proclaim the kingdom and to perform healing. The next line is why we have to be careful why making this a prescriptive text would be untenable. He says, take nothing for your journey. Do you notice that nobody in our culture today uh, takes that one literal? Nobody in the charismatic community, community, which I love deeply. I am not dogging that. I'm simply saying that nobody takes that line literally. Nobody takes neither a staff literally. Nobody takes nor a bag or bread or money or even two tunics, right? You can't even do that. And then nobody takes four and five. Whatever house you enter, stay until you leave that city. And as for those who do not receive you, as you go out from that city, shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. And in another gospel, we learn that this was only to Jews. Go to the Jews. Don't go to the Gentiles. Interesting that if we're going to read this as a prescriptive text, you either need to take it all, Mm -hmm. or you need to rethink your Mm -hmm. interpretive Mm -hmm. method. Yeah,
1: Yeah, you can't pick and choose, and and it's it's very important. What you've said is extremely important because one of the things that that we if you if you uh, uh, if, if you set our context apart from their context. We they had one way of proclaiming this, and that was by mouth. and they did they could not go on social social media and 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 put together blogs and memes and and, and send that like out. this to, one. Yeah, exactly. hundreds of thousands of people. their their method of doing this, had to be by mouth, so there was no other way to spread this message that that Christ had said to spread. Even the newspapers didn't exist, even books. If you think about a book or a scroll at that point, it would have been it would have taken a, a long time to present a scroll with everything that Jesus had said for them to go. So they had. First of all, it isn't unusual; it doesn't seem odd that they traveled light. They had to move, you know, relatively quick. But verse four does stand out to me whatever house you enter stay there until you leave that city. Now that means that there were people that were willing to welcome these guys in to come in and say, "Hey, what and which was not unusual. We've seen this throughout scripture. They go in and they stay with the believers that were in that city until they had preached to everyone that God had told them to preach to and they moved to the next one." Absolutely. And 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 even if we want to interpret four to say they entered a house
0: where the message they were preaching was was well-received. Maybe they weren't believers, but at least they were listening. The goal there was to stay and continue to minister, but if they rejected you, you were to go away. I I think this also speaks very importantly to how gospel ministry is done. We have been reared... not even unwittingly is is the word I'm looking for. Unwittingly, we have been reared in a uh, easy decisionism or an easy decision follow Jesus culture where we go to a crusade. Somebody says, do you want to give your life to Jesus? We say, yes, come up, make a prayer, and then everything's good. Mm-hmm. These people, these disciples, these 12, stayed in a house ministering mm-hmm. until it was time to move on. This was This was a... Uh, reasoning with them from the stories of Scripture. Maybe they didn't have, like you said, about books. Maybe they didn't have a scroll readily available to them. Maybe they took them to temple and and began to explain these things to them. Whatever it is, and we can just kind of uh, kind of process through this. We've got to be careful so that we're not right. reading anything right. into it. But the idea is that their form of gospel ministry. It took a lot more time, it seems, Mm -hmm. than what we are talking about. And this seems to be confirmed by the Great Commission. Go into all the world and make disciples. I I don't know about you, but making disciples is not a... uh, a one meeting event.
1: Sure. Absolutely. It is is
0: a lifetime pursuit. And so the idea of walking with people, the idea of uh, the the apostles going and establishing elders in every city so that there was somebody there to continue the work of disciple making, that's a pastor's responsibility Hmm. Uh, to see that. You realize coming to Jesus, following Jesus, walking after Jesus this takes time. This mm-hmm. is a process. Mm-hmm. The same thing, I think, can confirm it with the fact that we have a, a near three years of the life of the apostles following Jesus. Mm-hmm. It wasn't, hey, Peter, follow me. He did, he's going to heaven. That wasn't how that played out.
1: Mm-hmm. So
0: I think that that's just an important way to look
1: at that. It is, and that's that is uh we we see later on. It's uh that's that's certainly an important note to make because we see later on that Jesus tells them about the very stringent things that are going to have to happen for them to be for, for them to be followers of him. And it wasn't just say, "Oh, you say a prayer and everything's going to work out okay for you." That 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 was it was drastically different than that. And 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 I think we'll see that as we get through these yes. verses, but Uh, But he but uh, Jesus sent them out to preach the kingdom of God. And it says uh, we 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 uh, 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 roll right down into uh, verse five. And for those who do not receive you as you go out from that city, shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. There again, rabbis had a had a uh, some rules and guidelines and practices that they did, and and some of them were ceremonial, some of them were just simply practical. But but if someone didn't didn't receive them, it was not an unusual thing for them to dust the dust the dust off of their feet from that place or that house or whatever it was, and say, I, I, okay, I've done what I can do here. I'm moving on. Absolutely, and and we see ties elsewhere. If you really want to connect.
0: Uh, hard to deal with passages such as "Don't cast your pearls before swine." This is this is more akin to what we're talking about, mm-hmm. uh, what the scripture is talking about, which is if you're not welcome, move on. Yeah. Okay. And and yes, there's the ceremonial thing that that says. There's a judgment, you know. I pity you. I'm I'm sorry yes. that you have rejected the the message. You've you've deemed yourself unworthy of eternal life. That that's such a shame, uh, and and so there's a sign of judgment there. But you move on. Uh, a couple other points of um, of interest here is that Jesus does give them power yes. and authority over all demons and to heal diseases. Um, it, it says in Mark's gospel, it says authority. It does not include. Um, Power, right? Power is not there. It it it's not. This is not a, a moment of who got it right. the The point is, authority and power are often these hand in hand concepts that go there. And Jesus had given it to them. Uh, so they go out. They are they are trained by Jesus. They're discipled by Jesus. They are empowered by Jesus. Over a particular area, uh, you know, demons and diseases, Uh demons and diseases, and they were in charge of proclaiming the kingdom of God to perform uh, and to perform healings. That verse 2 is a tricky thing because in some circles today, the idea is go into all the world and preach the gospel and use words if you have to. Mm-hmm. Uh, this St. Francis of Assisi, which I, I pick on this statement all the time because it's patently absurd. And and the reason why is because even Jesus himself tells them twofold, uh, a twofold thing to do. Proclaim the kingdom of God, perform healing. In our day, maybe maybe you're not, you know, you you have no... A thought of of <laughs> praying for somebody and them being healed, but you you say you say uh, proclaim the kingdom and be a loving witness, and most people are a loving witness and they never open their mouth. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It is twofold. It always is, and as we learned a couple of we- uh, a couple of podcasts ago, Jesus says that his message was a message of power. Mm-hmm. So. So it's words, and there was authority in this particular situation. Mm-hmm. So, just keep walking down through this, and, sure. and chime
1: in wherever you feel. Uh, verse number six, I think, uh, interesting. The fir- very first word of verse number six, departing. So, or in some in some translations, it says, so they departed. They begin. They they first number one. They did what he said. That that may seem simple, and 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 it is but it is not what a lot of people do and I, we shouldn't they, miss it. They, we should not miss the fact that they they actually did what Jesus told them to do they were preaching the gospel and they were healing and that was the mission that God had given them and 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 they they actually did it that's something that uh i, I while we, we there there are many people that are doing what God wants them to do but there are many people that are not doing that and it's pretty simple sometimes what he yes. wants you to do
0: yeah, there's a declaration of devotion a lot because words are easy. Words are cheap, as we like to say, mm-hmm. but actions, actions matter here. Yes. So departing, they began to go throughout the villages. And I love this, preaching the gospel. So there's the message mm-hmm. and healing everywhere. Yeah, It doesn't say everyone, uh, but it says that they were healing everywhere. I think that that's really cool. I don't know what... Uh, I'm not trying to read something into it by it not saying every one, but I'm simply saying everywhere they went, Mm -hmm. there were healings happening. Mm -hmm. Verse 7, Now Herod the Tetrarch heard of all that was happening, and he was greatly perplexed, Mm. uh, because it was said by some that John had risen from the dead, and by some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the prophets of old had risen again. Herod said, I myself had John beheaded. So we can see where we're at in the <laughs> yes. storyline. John's gone here, okay? I myself had John beheaded, but who is this man about whom I hear such things? And he kept trying to see him. So a bit of fear, it would appear, uh, of maybe this being John risen from the dead, Um that's actually an interesting line to me, uh, because it would appear that resurrection was a framework. I, I don't know yeah. how much I can make that mm-hmm, case, mm-hmm. but from that line, it was said by some that John had risen from the dead. Who were those some that believed resurrection was a framework that mm-hmm. they had? Was resurrection a framework that was instituted because they had seen Jairus' daughter raised? Was it a framework because they had seen Jesus do this Mm -hmm. uh, in other cases? Maybe it was a new framework, but nonetheless, it seems a framework, right? Uh, so he seems, to fear, he seems to fear John, and I get why. John John puts his, his finger right in his nose; yeah. he doesn't care. But he's also aware of his upbringing, his Jewish heritage. Yeah. He says, "Some say that Elijah had appeared. Yeah. That would be a that would be a bad
1: sign. That would be a bad sign. It was Herod, while he was a Jew, he doesn't seem to be a very good Jew. <laughs> this <laughs> and, is true. And, and let me let me let me qualify that in the fact that." Herod knew, uh, well, let's go back to the to uh, him believing that the possibility is that Jesus is John raised from the dead. John's dead at this point, uh, and 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 Herod knows it. As he said, he had, his, I myself had John behead, beheaded, uh, but who is this man about whom I hear such things? Well, first of all, those that believed, or whether it was Herod or, or others, it seems it, it, it was to be others that believed that John had been risen from the dead, uh... Uh, it, uh, that had been said. So he was perplexed over that. He knew that John was dead. But any of the others that thought that, they were like, wait a minute, Jesus and John were in the same place at the same time, more than once. And that's probably not good. That's probably going to kill the John risen from the dead argument. But it, it, it is so, it's so interesting to, to see that, that I don't believe that Herod, had an interest as a, uh, trying to seek out Christ for a, a spiritual. spiritual lead. It was not that he, 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 he was, he was concerned about the, uh, uh, about the popularity that he had. He was concerned about the, uh, about all of the people that were following him, and 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 with him being, uh, uh, he he loved the institution that the Pharisees and the scribes and the, and Sadducees, all that he he loved the institutions that they had set up because it worked for him. It worked for him. It worked for his father and uh, Herod the Great and Her, and Herod Antipas and his, and his brother uh, Herod Philip. But he he was not seeking out Christ. I don't think for honest uh, spiritual concern. It may have been that he wanted to do the same thing to him that he had done to John. I don't know. That's speculation on my part. But we certainly uh, uh, see that Herod was interested in what Christ was doing. Without doubt.
0: I think... he's afraid that his problem is coming back. Yes. <laughs> you know, John's back. So so there's that fear. Certainly. There is this strange fear of Elijah, uh, some, some that Elijah had appeared. And it doesn't say that he particularly feared the Elijah theory. It simply says that some said yes. that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the prophets of old had risen. Herod says to himself... I had John beheaded, but who is this man about whom I hear such things? So he knows of Jesus, but he's wondering some very key things. Uh, Some interesting information about Herod. Herod is of the Herodian family, which what's amazing about that lineage is that this is of the Maccabean revolt mm-hmm. and the purification of the temple under this defilement that happens some uh, 2 to 300 years before Christ and uh, 200 years before Christ and what is what is intriguing about this is that that family's desire was the purity mm-hmm. of their faith mm-hmm. and look at how out of sorts this has become when, uh, when this guy is killing one of the very prophets of God. Now, that actually is keeping in uh, step with everybody else from the past because mm-hmm. they killed all the prophets. Mm-hmm. But just a fun little side note there. Verse 10, uh, he, he's had John beheaded. He's wondering about this. He says, when the apostles returned, they gave an account to him Uh, Of all that they had done, taking them with him, he withdrew by himself to a city called Bethsaida, but the crowds were aware of this and followed him. And welcoming them, he began speaking to them about the kingdom of God and curing those who had need of healing. Now, we we kind of end the chapter with Herod, just, you know, ever so briefly, end that. It's a strange little, you know, teaser of what's going on, I guess. And then the apostles have done their work Mm -hmm. and they come back to Jesus. Mm -hmm. So how long has this taken? We don't know. We Mm -hmm. don't know what the time gap is, but there's a time gap. So they return. They give an account to him of all that they've done. And uh, he withdraws. Mm -hmm. He's he's going to do what he normally does, pray. He's going to teach. He's going to do this. But the crowd's are aware. And so they, they track him down, mm-hmm. they follow after mm-hmm. him. And Jesus's compassion is yet again here. He welcomes them.
1: Yeah. What hospitality. Absolutely. And and I think it's, it's very, uh, cool that he, that he, first of all, it says, it, it seems to be that he sat down and let, and let the apostles tell, tell him of all, all that they had done. They had to be excited about some of the things that had been going on. And, uh, uh, he, he was, uh, he, there again, you, you mentioned compa- compassion, he was compassionate enough to sit down and listen to these guys and say, wow, I had had to make his heart glad to see that they were doing exactly what he had told them to do. And then he, like you've said, but it's, uh, crowds find him again and, uh, we roll right into Verse twelve. Yes, uh, so the feeding
0: of the, the five
1: thousand. So so they're
0: all there and and I do want to continue to state what happens in verse eleven. He's speaking to them about the kingdom of God, there's the message, mm-hmm. and curing them, uh, curing those who had need of healing. There's the power. Mm-hmm. There's a message with power. And it's and it's always together in in Jesus' ministry, mm-hmm. okay? And and I still do believe that the message that we are a people with a message and power, but I guess what I would I would stress to the church today, I would stress to our church today, and this is not a statement against healing. I believe that God moves very clearly still Certainly. today. Uh, the the message that I would say is that in. In the epistles, we read that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. So the message itself is coupled with power. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so there's something to be said about that. But we have the feeding of the 5,000 and this is quite an epic miracle. So he says, now the day was ending. We know how the days worked. This would have been late afternoon because uh, the next day would be, be starting soon. The day was ending and the 12 came and said to him, send the crowd away that they may go into the surrounding villages in the countryside and find lodging and get something to eat. For here we are in a desolate place. Now, Who came to him and said this? It's the 12 who came and mm -hmm. said, send them away. But he said to them, you give them something to eat. And they said, we have no more than five loaves and two fish, unless perhaps we go and buy food for all these people. For there were about 5,000 men, noteworthy. It was tracking Mm -hmm. the men, not the Mm -hmm. women. So Mm -hmm. how many are in this entourage? Uh, Many more is all we can say, many Mm -hmm. more. Mm -hmm. And he said to the disciples, have them sit down to eat in groups of about 50 each they did so and uh, and had them all sit down then he took the five loaves and the two fish looked up to heaven he blessed them he broke them he gave them to the disciples to set before the people and they all ate and were satisfied and the broken pieces which they had left over were picked up 12 Baskets full. Mm-hmm. We'll continue on. But what, what are your thoughts? Yeah, so far? it's I,
1: I think first of all, we read what the uh, uh, what the apostles came to him and, and said. So the twelve came and said, Send the crowd away that they may go into the surrounding villages and countryside and find lodging and get something to eat. For here we are in a desolate place. I think that they were actually in their own way, in their humanistic way, try, showing compassion. On the the folks that were there, they knew that there was no way in in their mind that they that they had enough food to feed. They they barely had enough to feed themselves, maybe not even themselves. But so they felt like they were doing something right when they said, "Jesus, send them away." We so sometimes we read that and we read something else into that that they didn't want them around. That wasn't it at all. They were trying to care for these people. They yes. truly had care, but they didn't realize that they had far more resources. Because they had Christ sitting right there with them and and once again Jesus takes this opportunity to teach them a valuable valuable lesson and one that would have been it was just an amazing thing yeah a couple
0: of chapters ago we have we have these uh, twelve witnessing all of these miracles of Jesus including the casting out of demons and then they get on a boat and they forget their Uh, their faith, right? They they have no idea who Jesus is. Again, we have Jesus healing in the surrounding cities. Not only that, Jesus induces them with power. They go out and heal and do this kingdom work for him. They come back to this crowd and somehow have forgotten that Jesus could probably do something about this. I I agree with you completely. The practical needs of the people— is clearly in view for the apostles. They cared for these people. Sure. And and even if it was because Jesus himself cared, they're going to follow suit. But I think I think we could say that they cared for them. The issue is they don't think they don't think with jesus's power in mind they're they're not thinking that idea through so uh, so they tell him you know we should send them away and do this and he goes no you give them something to eat yeah, and yeah. their brains are like uh
1: what the math
0: <laughs> the math doesn't work jesus yeah,
1: yes they're i'm sure that they they are figuring this up wait a minute uh 5 loaves two fishes and 5000 men and who knows how many of the others <laughs> yes uh, wow it didn't work so and it and it, it it is very interesting to me I, I i love the fact that in verse 15 he he set them down in groups of 50 in an orderly <laughs> organized way there may be something said nathan for the chair straightening that you do, I absolutely agree.
0: I absolutely agree, and I don't want to hear any more smart aleck comments about it. But anyway, so <laughs> Keep I, moving.
1: I'm I'm completely with you. I think I'm going to help you do that from now on. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> but he oh, did, and so just, just just it's, it's it's kind of funny. But it is interesting that the there again Luke is being uh, very detail oriented because it, it in, in 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 his account of this where he says. That they sat them down in groups of 50 and in an orderly, organized way. So I uh, and and there again, we see the care that not only Jesus had, but we see the care that the apostles had for these folks. Absolutely. And they they cared about their physical needs. Yes. Some some see a
0: connection, and, and I I would probably list myself among the some. In 2 Kings chapter 4, uh, we remember the story of of Elisha and the poisonous stew. And it's just, anyway, if you want to read that, it's second Kings chapter four and it's verse 38 to 44. But, um, in second Kings, there is this, there is this piece that says, uh, Elisha says, uh, now bring meal. He threw that meal into the pot and said, pour it out for the people that they may eat because something had made this uh, made this stew death in a pot, right they had mm-hmm. they had thrown in things that they shouldn't have thrown in, right? They had not followed the directions, if you will and uh, and there was uh, they threw in this meal so that the people may eat, and there was no harm in the pot in one in one verse it says, there was death in the pot, and now there's no harm in the pot, just figures of speech and then one of the men uh, from a certain area came and brought the man of God bread. Uh, of the first fruits, this is 42 of Second Kings 4, 20 loaves of barley and fresh ears of grain in his sack. And he said... Give them to the people that they may eat this is Jesus's words to the disciples he says give it give it to them that they may you feed them right um, his attendant said what will I set this before a hundred men yeah the same question <laughs> right what what is amazing here yet again is that Jesus proves himself to be the fulfillment of every prophetic voice and idea and everything throughout the ages he is the he is the new Elisha if yes. you want to want to put yes. him this way or the better elisha. And the guy says, am I going to set this before a hundred men? But he said, give them to the people that they may eat. For thus says the Lord, they shall eat and have some left over. Yes. Ta-da! You know, what we have is yet again, uh, this echo of the Old Testament or this repeat of the Old Testament. Verse 44 says, so he set it before them and they ate. And had some left over, yes. according to the word of the Lord, because yes. that's what God does. And in this case, Jesus says, "Feed them. Feed them. It's going to be fine." And what do
1: we read at the end? They have, uh, they well, they have a lot left over. They have twelve baskets full left over. Which now there are some folks that that are uh, that somewhat uh, can link this to the twelve tribes of Israel, and there are Absolutely. some that do a lot of different things with this. But the fact remains. Is that they had all they ate and were satisfied? Verse seventeen says, "and and twelve baskets full left over." So those people had probably had enough food to go again or come back for seconds if they Absolutely. wanted it. So uh, that that is uh, uh, that is interesting. Well, we jump right into verse eighteen, and yes. it is wow uh, the the question. That Christ asked us. Uh, verse, let's jump right in. And it happened that while he was praying alone, the d- disciples were with him, and he questioned them, saying, "Who do people say that I am?" Wow, an interesting question. So I, 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 I want to first just, just, just look at what at some of the answers that they had. In verse nineteen, they answered and said, uh, "John the Baptist." Some had said that.
0: And this is important. Some had said that. This is not what the disciples thought. They weren't confused.
1: Yeah, go for it. Yeah, that some had said, and they they said, others say say Elijah, but others, that one of the the prophets of old has risen again. Now think about this just for a second. We just came
0: off this weird story that ended abruptly Mm -hmm. with Herod. And Herod is wondering about this Jesus character, and they're... There, he's fearful that John has come back from the dead, or rather, according to the interpretation, he's fearful because this is the word. Yeah. It's either John come back from the dead, it's John the Baptist, they were cousins, maybe they looked alike. It was, it was either John the Baptist, it was Elijah, or it was one of the prophets. Mm-hmm. So it almost sounds like when Jesus asked the question, who do people say that I am? You could hear one of the disciples say, well, actually, Herod's freaking out over there. And we heard the people tell him who they thought you were. Mm-hmm, so here's mm-hmm. the answer. And that was their answer.
1: Yeah. And, and, and so he, he jumps right back again and says, and, and he said to them, Jesus said to them, but who do you say that I am? And of course, Peter, being the outgoing uh, uh, type A personality, said, the Christ of God, and and Jesus warned them and instructed them not to not to tell any tell this to anyone, saying the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and raised up on the third day. There's a lot in what he just said. Yes, there. absolutely. Uh, John's Gospel, I believe it is, uh, reco- records Peter
0: saying. Um, uh, he talks to, he's talking to Simon Peter and he asks him this question. And he says, after people have departed from the eat of my body, this is John six, the the great passage of, of cannibalism that people mm-hmm. are freaked out about. Uh, he says to Simon Peter, after people have left, he says, are you going to leave me too? And he says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. This is an extension of this idea of you are the Christ, the Messiah, the son of the living God. You're, you're the one who we're going to for whatever answer. Elsewhere, again, in the text of Scripture, uh, Jesus responds and says, flesh and blood didn't reveal this yes. to you, yes. but my Father who is in heaven. I think that that's an important thing. Oftentimes, people misquote that and say that the Bible says, uh, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my spirit. It, it distinguishes. It says, but my Father who is in heaven. Mm-hmm. So I, I think there's something to that. But um, now this question gets personal okay, fine, we, we've we heard what everybody else thinks of who I am. How yes. about you?
1: Yes, And exactly. Peter
0: jumps in with the Christ of God.
1: Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, it's I, I, I think it's important to note that Jesus didn't ask this because he needed that information. He had heard all of the stories. He was with the crowds every day. And so he heard what people were saying about him, about who he was. But it seems to me that he asked this because... He would use that question to bring to light a question for these guys that they needed to they needed to answer within themselves, and very important follow up question: yes. Who do you say that I yeah. am?
0: Yeah, and I think I think it's as we've discussed already. It's keeping with this compassionate discipleship model that we see in Jesus, where he he commands them to do something. Well, he models it. He models it, he displays it, he commands them to do it. When they have... Uh, doubts when their faith is not in him, when they're not trusting in him, he corrects them, and then he teaches them again, he models it, he commands them to go, and then when they fall short again, he corrects them again. in this case, it seems yet another one of those tests if you if you don't freak out with that mm-hmm. kind of terminology, but he he then he starts who who does everybody else say that I am okay great I'm glad you answered Dad. I already knew the answer, like you said but now who do you say that I am? And then, uh, and then Peter chimes in with the right answer. Mm-hmm, uh, Jesus mm-hmm. doesn't, uh, Jesus doesn't mince words here. He, he says that he warns them and instructs them not to tell this to anyone and why. Yeah. Uh, now we have that old, that old indicator, the son of man, largely, you know, mainly in Ezekiel. And mm-hmm. we also see it in Daniel. Um, But in 22, he says, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. So he's not wanting people to know this for for what I believe are twofold reasons. The first one would be that I believe that Jesus has more work to do. Mm -hmm. I think that that's a natural conclusion. This is why uh, he says to his mother... At the wedding feast in Cana, he says, N- "It's not my time." Right. He, he's not saying I can't do this. He's he's not saying I don't even. Uh, he's not even saying I don't want to do this. He's saying there's a there's an issue here. It's not my time. I've got. I've got a lot to accomplish, and if I give myself away now, we're going to have a problem. And here's the second reason I think there's a problem: if he allows everybody to see this, there are going to be more people like Peter, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. who eventually tries to stop yes. what Jesus is doing, which is going to the cross. And what does, Je- what does Jesus say famously to Peter? Get behind me, Satan! Yes. You know, get me, beh- get behind me. Uh, uh, you know, you this antagonist, this one who's trying to thwart the will of God, get behind me. And Jesus doesn't need any more blocks. Mm-hmm. He's got a, mm-hmm. an agenda to do, and he's going to do it. Yes. He didn't
1: need his own uh, apostles coming in the way of what God was doing. He He had to. He had to. He says right here, he must suffer many things. He must be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes. He must be killed and he must be raised on the third day. Without those things happening, you don't have a Messiah. You have someone that's just uh, uh, telling you fables. So these things, he's saying he must suffer these things. So uh, Jesus didn't want like as you've said someone like a peter to come in and try to thwart that the plan of god yeah because he's going
0: to put a stop to it that's that's clear he is sovereign yes. no, no no question but he doesn't need that in his way right and then and then another thing is we've we have to of course always keep close i didn't list this among the reasons because it seems to be the underlying premise of all of this this is prophetic fulfillment. Mm-hmm. He has to be rejected by his own and he goes then to the Gentiles or the message goes in to the Gentiles. So all of that is really important. And all of this fulfills that uh, Jesus was uh, crucified for our sins according to the mm-hmm. scriptures, that he was buried on the third day he rose according to the scriptures, mm-hmm. all of this. Yeah. So verse 23, we roll in and he was saying to them all, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. Mm-hmm. For what is a man profited if he gains the whole world or loses, uh, and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory." and the glory of the father and of the holy angels but i say to you truthfully there are some of those standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of god so that one that last line creates a problem down the road and yes. we see it uh, clearly in john's
1: gospel but yes. what stands out to you about that we 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 are so quick in our culture to quote verse 23, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. This, we don't get the impact of the words, taking up his cross. These guys knew it was not unusual. This was a common thing for the Romans to crucify somebody on a cross. That was their way of punishment. And 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 what they would have known about that was the romans required you to carry the crossbeam of the cross you were to pick up your own cross and follow him and when he said that they had they had to be going wait a minute this is a torturous death that you're telling us about. You're saying that we are going to have to take up our cross and follow you. That that's what's going to happen. the The words that are said here, if we don't, if we don't understand the meaning that it meant to these guys, they would have been they would have been stricken with all kinds of feelings and fear and saying they knew what it meant to take up the cross. Yes, absolutely. Um, his, his
0: previous line in 22 that listen I've got to suffer and I've got to be killed and be raised up on the third day there wasn't really a a clear uh, understanding of this in again in the folders of their mind Um, but it seems that that was a tiny bit of foreshadowing to what he then clarifies in the next line that it is a cross by which he's going to die and that we have to take up our cross as well Mm -hmm. so like you said it is a this is a very bold call for people to come and do. I believe that when we're, when we're looking at this in its, in its context, if we're looking at what Jesus just said he's going to do, I'm going to suffer, I'm going to be rejected, I'm going to be killed, and I'm going to be re- raised on the third day, We actually see the call of the Christian life. We see that we will suffer for his name's sake, that we could even be killed, but we are going to die to ourselves, but there's resurrection. We're going to be raised up. Immediately after saying that about himself, he invites them to come after him. Yeah. So we cannot why would you divorce that no logical mind would divorce Absolutely. that and yet in our culture here's what we go what we say is we say well taking up your cross means you know that maybe maybe your best friend is mad because now you're a christian uh, so, you just got to deal with somebody thinking you're a you're a believer in fairy tales or something. Oh, it's far more than that. Oh this has to do with dying to self. It has to do with surrendering every aspect of your life this This has everything to do with what the the church calls faith and practice, right? It has everything to do with dedication. Yes. To what God taught, or what the apostles taught, it has everything to do with how that plays out your practice, how you live out your life, living a godly life. All of those pieces. So when he says this, uh, these guys weren't thinking like twenty first century Americans.
1: Certainly not. They
0: were not thinking, "Cool, I get to check in at church once every mm-hmm. couple of weeks, and and therefore I've taken up my cross." No, this is a, this is a an entirely. Uh, different and far weightier matter.
1: Absolutely than we it about. is. And, and these guys knew no one... Talked about taking up the cross in a positive light. No one talked about that in a. In it was light. shameful. It, 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 yeah, it, it was shameful. It was a torturous death that was. It was meant to humiliate, and no one took up his. There was they had they didn't know anybody that took up their cross and then came back. No one that that that, that, that had doesn't happened. happen. They it was a it was kind of a, a one way trip, and and uh, and and uh, Jesus says here that. That that you must voluntarily, those that are going to follow him are voluntarily going to take up the cross. That would have been uh, just, uh, that 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 could have, I'm sure they were shocked yeah. by the statement of that because the picture in their mind felt, is yeah. Roman death, Roman torture, and in a, a most... Uh, 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 Savage way, yes. So I think certainly not what they thought.
0: I think there's even more to verse 24, and then of course to verse 26. All of it, make no mistake. But you notice in verse 24, it says, "Whoever wishes to save his life will lose it." But the opposite is, whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. The the second one doesn't say, he who is willing to lose his life. It doesn't say, he whoever wishes to lose his life will actually be the one who saves it. Meanwhile, in the first part of the scripture, the problem is, if you're even wishing to save your life, you have a problem. Mm -hmm. You're missing the point. Your life here... And this is, again, we I, I hammer on this a lot, and make, uh, let me make sure that I make it clear. This is not to be understood in some sort of Gnostic ideal. Uh, the Gnostics had this this view that everything fleshly was bad, and everything spiritual was good, and so what we need to do is, is die to the flesh, uh, you know, lose the flesh, and move on to that which is greater— the resurrection is a physical resurrection. Mm-hmm. God's redeeming mm-hmm. his created humanity. So we're not talking about that, but we are talking about losing the 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 existence that you have independent from God where you're doing it your way, you're going to die yeah. to this life. And if you're not willing to, then you're going to lose it all.
1: You're going to lose it all. Absolutely. And it is it's so important that you that you brought that out. It is so very important. When Jesus said, uh, uh, those that come after me, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily. The word daily would show that he is giving them a spiritual lesson here. No one could take up a cross. Once you took it up once, you were dead the following day. There was no daily taking up a cross in the real physical world. So he's showing them this is something that was a spiritual lesson. uh, a spiritual uh, teaching for them, and 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 so is so is the rest of it, the whole yes. thing. If if you look at it in that sense, there's no doubt that Jesus literally took up the cross, yes. but for us. My goodness, the lesson is there. Yes. Verse
0: 26, again, uh, continues this idea, For whoever is ashamed of me in my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory. Now, I think, and, and of course, make no mistake, the glory of the Father and the glory of the holy angels, there is something beautiful mm-hmm. happening here. Uh, if you look at that and the glory that we're talking about this is a restoration to what Romans 3 tells us we have fallen short of mm-hmm. we have fallen short of the glory of God what we're what we're here for is to be restored to that glory and that comes by a a an acceptance of Christ and his words, right? This is, this is why up above when when Jesus says, who do the crowd say that I am? Well, some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Elijah. Some say you're one of the prophets of old. Okay, but who do you say that I am? You're the Christ, the Messiah, the son of the living God. All too often in our culture today, when we're pinned up against the wall, we look far more like Peter during the time of the crucifixion. We go, he was a good teacher, you know, or "He was he's really awesome. He's a great leader. He was Christ, the Messiah, the Mm -hmm. son of the living God. He is the one who takes away the sins of the world. He is the redeemer of humanity. If not for that, he is nothing. Mm -hmm. Uh, Many preachers say if he is not Lord, he's either a liar or a lunatic we've heard this yes. in so many sermons yes. it's not funny but you know he is either lord or he is a liar and a lunatic and he's neither of those two things yeah. so we have to not be ashamed of him but this is the part that the church struggles with mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and my words yes and my words yes it is not enough to say i believe jesus it is i believe jesus and whatever it is he says I trust it. Yes. That is our life. And he said, New Testament, can't shake it. Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, I will be ashamed of him when my
1: father comes. Yes. And and there's no way you can turn that around and make that mean anything else. There's no way. Jesus did not mince words here. And this was a this was an idea that first, first of all, there is a it's a strong and sure promise he wasn't he, he he wasn't giving them something at oh it might be like this or no this would this would happen he said uh if you if if you're ashamed of me I, I my words I'm gonna be ashamed of you uh, we the th- this whole this whole lesson that he is teaching them is is once again one of those things that we talked about uh on two or th- three or four podcast back. Jesus taking everything that 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 the world was showing them and teaching them and turning it upside down and saying I'm changing all of this. Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. So then we we conclude this section with 27, you know, but I say to you truthfully, there are some of yeah. those standing here today who will not taste death until they see the kingdom. Of God. And uh, of course, what we learn from this, what we learn of this meaning, is not that uh, this is about Jesus' return. Yes. It's very important. His kingdom was inaugurated. In this, in the life of these apostles, it's consummation is what we're waiting for. This is what has led scholars to use the phrase the the now and the not yet the, you know, the here and the not yet. The idea here is that they did see the kingdom of God and the kingdom of God broke in, in, in the form of a spirit-filled church Yes. A spirit-filled yeah. church yeah. on the day of Pentecost Just yeah. very powerful things I, I really think that even though we have uh, We have Gone through this and and given some great points, and we have a lot to go. The best step for us is to hold off a little bit from verses twenty eight to the end sixty two and talk about that in our next podcast because there's too many important things in the Transfiguration of Jesus. So it's it's been a good hour. We've enjoyed this hour with you. Here are a couple things that I want to uh, I want to challenge you to. Number one, send us an email. Nathan Frankhauser at gmail.com, Barney Estes at yahoo.com, or Piercepoint at gmail.com. Send us questions, send us comments, send us uh, st- stupid, funny memes. I don't care. But texts. send us, send us <laughs> texts. Uh, log on to the YouVersion Bible. We'll invite you into that plan. If you want to be a part of that, you can find it under, you can find my name in there, you can find Barney's name in there. Search for friends, Uh, join that conversation. It's really important, it's very powerful. And then, what we really want you to do is we want you to share this podcast. So, you have a Facebook account, you have a Twitter account, you have an Instagram, you have something like that. Go ahead and share this on whatever social media platform you have because here's what we're trying to accomplish we're trying to accomplish getting this out further. Than just, uh, than just ourselves, just our church. We do believe that this approach of verse-by-verse verse, walking through the Bible and, um, and challenging uh, even our long-held ideas or our, our wrongly-held ideas or maybe even our solid ideas so that we can prove them solid is a very good way to walk through the Scripture. So we want to encourage you, share it, like it, send it to your friends, tell them to listen to it. Uh, And we will be back on Tuesday with a new podcast. God bless.